Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 295. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician and a medical student first. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. As I mentioned, if this is your first time joining me, Thank you for being here. Some of you may have found this topic and said, oh, I need to check out this topic. Maybe I have something similar and I'm questioning whether or not to disclose it. Our guest today reached out to me and he is a rising second year medical student at Pacific Northwest. And he decided to reach out to me after gaining an acceptance after originally being discouraged that way back in episode 194 with Jeff, who has retinitis pigmentosa and is legally blind, and he decided not to disclose his disability in his second application because he didn't get in his first time, our guest today decided to ignore my advice of leaving off any huge red flags from the application and was very, very open about his bipolar disorder. So if you are struggling with mental illness and you're debating whether or not to put that in your application, I think today's interview is going to be a great one with Logan. Logan, welcome to the medical school headquarters and the pre-mid years podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, man. Let's start off with the best question ever. Why did you decide to become a podcaster? Ooh, man. <laughs> well... I mean, originally, I guess I was a YouTuber, and really my my first kind of taste of disclosing my pub, my bipolar disorder publicly was via YouTube, and I tried to be consistent with my YouTube, but to be honest, I'm not a tech guy, and I hated filming, I hated trying to look all pretty in front of camera, and I just felt like I was putting on this facade where I my mannerisms and everything were just a little bit <laughs> Man- different in front of camera. <laughs> mannerisms? 
I don't know. I would put on this weird act. And like my my wife would always grill me. She's like, that's not you. That's not natural. And so what I learned is actually somebody interviewed me online through one of their own podcasts. And I just loved it. And I just realized that through a podcast and through conversations, that's my natural self. And that's really where I can just kind of relax and be who I am. And also, I would like to be a psychiatrist one day in the future. So I hope that you know, future patients can listen to my podcast and see, hey, do I like this guy? Am I going to jive with this guy? So when they actually come into my office or, you know, Skype, if we decide to do telemedicine, they can feel a little bit more comfortable and disclosed, you know, their most embarrassing dark secrets, which, you know, they'll have to do if they're visiting a psychiatrist. So wanting to be a psychiatrist, you mentioned being a YouTuber, having a podcast, and and you slipped in this, I wanted to talk about being bipolar. And that's really the kind of the reason that we're talking now today is you reached out to me and said, hey, Ryan, like, I listened to this podcast a while ago where you talked to Jeff about being blind and disabilities and do you disclose it? Do you not? I want to let you know that I disclosed my bipolar disorder on my applications I'm a second-year student now. It's worked for me. Let's rewind a little bit and find out when you realized you wanted to be a physician because your bipolar disorder plays into that a lot. Certainly. You know, I didn't, I'm 29 years old now, and I didn't really realize I wanted to be a physician until about five years ago. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 22, right when I graduated undergraduate school, uh, and I was an economics major. I worked in finance and insurance right after it, and I absolutely hated it. It was <laughs> terrible. It was it was just depressing. And I was even more depressed than I was prior to when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I knew I needed a change. And I started working as a public speaker in the mental health spe- sphere. And I was giving my story to colleges and law enforcement and hospitals. And I absolutely loved that. And I worked in a, various different roles within mental health. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, if I wanted to maybe work at a nonprofit or become a therapist or potentially even become a psychiatrist. Mm. And what I realized I liked the most is simply just talking to people. But I saw the frustration that they had with the medications that they were taking, as well as the diagnosis, because they would talk to one psychiatrist, get diagnosis A, and then they would talk to a different doctor and get a totally different diagnosis. So what really led me to medical school is I want to take out a lot of that subjectivity around mental health and hopefully just you know find some objective means of understanding these mental illnesses and how we can better correct them. How do you go from being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which for many people is going to be this life-changing diagnosis, to going and, and speaking publicly to people about it and, and going on tour, basically, to tell your story? Why were you motivated to do that? Well, you know, at first I wasn't. You know, at first, the psychiatrist, the therapist, all the social workers warned me of the stigma surrounding mental illness and how there could be, I could be discriminated against, I could, you know, jeopardize my career, my relationships. It's really just not a good idea to tell people outside of your most immediate circle. And I was really frustrated by that, but I did listen to their advice. And so I lived almost with this cloak of shame. And I was really embarrassed about my bipolar disorder. I didn't really tell anybody. And it was a horrible, horrible way to live. Mm. And I essentially lived that way, though, until the Sandy Hook shooting. And how how long was that between diagnosis to then? 
Uh, a little less than two years, about 18 months. It's a while. Okay. Yeah. And so I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up about an hour north of Sandy Hook. And so after Sandy Hook, you know, all we saw in the news was how people with mental illness were violent and, you know, ticking time bombs, I remember they would refer to us as. And I just was like, that's BS. You know, that is not me. I am not a violent person. I've never been arrested. I've never been in a fight. Like, I'm a good person. And so that was really the catalyst where I was like, I want to share my story and show that people with mental illness are not like this. You know, they mm -hmm. can be normal people that contribute to society. And so that's when I joined the Speakers Bureau. And that's when I started posting on YouTube about my experiences. What was it like for you leading up to your diagnosis? For, for you, you say, I'm not violent. I haven't been arrested, all this stuff. For you, what did bipolar disorder look like? Well, really for me, it was mostly depression at first. Mm -hmm. I, or I studied abroad in Scotland. And I remember when I first got there, I was really struggling with insomnia. And I sort of attributed that maybe just to jet lag. But that insomnia lasted for months. And I started to have really bad anxiety. I thought all my friends hated me. I thought my family was disowning me. My girlfriend at the time, I thought she didn't love me anymore. Just all these thoughts that weren't true in any essence, but I couldn't stop thinking about them. And they'd keep me up late at night. And really, that's what led me to kind of abusing alcohol. And I was self-medicating with alcohol to sleep essentially every single night for like a year and a half. Mm. And I was just really, really struggling. I was getting maybe like two to three hours of sleep every single night. And I could sort of come out of the depression when I was around my friends. Like I would still put on the face, the happy guy. And th there would certainly be moments where I did feel happy. But my moods were just all over the place. Then when I graduated undergraduate school, right around that same time, I broke up with my girlfriend, my college girlfriend. And that's when I had my first manic episode. It started out where... You know, I just felt euphoric and I really fit in with everyone around me because we were graduating college. You know, people didn't yeah. think of it as anything too weird. But then things started to get weird. I didn't sleep at all that first night. And then by the time I didn't sleep in the second night, my words and my speech were just all over the place. They were, I was rambling, really rapid speech, kind of how they call it in our first aid textbook is word salad, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was just all over the place. People would come up to me and say like, are you on coke right now? Are you on meth or something? You know, like people just, they, that's how they described me, you yeah. know? And it's kind of hard for me to really remember exactly what went on because I didn't sleep for so many days in a row. But by about the third and fourth day of not sleeping, I started having auditory hallucinations. I thought the FBI was following me around, like hacking my computer and all this crazy stuff. And thankfully, though, I had a wonderful family and wonderful group of friends that was able to sit me down and convince me like, OK, Logan, something's going on. Mm. You know, we need you to check into the psych ward. And it, it certainly wasn't as easy as I'm describing it right now, but I also... I knew that that gene kind of existed in my family. My yeah, uncle, that was my next question. Is, is this something that, that they were aware of to look for? Yes, yes. And it's, it's really you know, a sad story. My uncle had bipolar disorder and eventually took his own life. Mm. So throughout growing up, I always knew I was susceptible to something like that. And it wasn't until, though, that manic episode that I realized, like, oh, whoa, you know, something's going on here. 
Do you think you had talked about the the transition from depression to then having nights where you're not sleeping and being stressed and everything else going on? Do you think like sleep hygiene we know is is so important for 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 mental illness and for if you're not if you don't have a, a mental illness or whatever, right? Sleep is mm-hmm. is key. How if 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 you looked back and said, oh, if I would have just gotten sleep, do you think this would just be plain old depression and not bipolar disorder? You think this was coming out no matter what? I think the latter. You know, I think it would probably come out no matter what. But I, at that time in Scotland, when I was first experiencing insomnia, I I knew I needed sleep. And, you know, I knew I really wanted to sleep. But I was still so ashamed of talking to a therapist, of really telling anyone. I didn't tell my parents or my friends or anyone what was going on. I just all kept it inside me. So I think even more simplistic than going to see a therapist is I wish I just would have talked about it sooner. And I think having that social support network really maybe what helped me manage this disorder better because I, like you said, I think I would have eventually come out and had bipolar disorder at some point, but maybe it wouldn't have been as acute. Maybe I wouldn't have to go and spend five days in a locked psychiatric facility. You know, maybe it could have been a little bit friendlier of a means of diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not turning to alcohol to self-medicate and on all this other stuff. So you, Mm -hmm. you have this journey, this story, you're diagnosed, you live with the shame and and the fear of of quote unquote coming out for a year and a half or so sandy hook happens you go and you talk about it to show your side to say look this is not don't don't paint us with a broad brush and then you decide that you want to be a physician how did you go about saying you know what i have this label right i'm i'm labeled i have this diagnosis is it even possible for me to go to medical school with bipolar disorder? How did you how did you find out that information? Well, to be honest, at first I didn't. I didn't think I was going to be smart enough. I was looking into nursing programs because I just I thought medical school was so outside of my capabilities. And it was at that time I met a friend in Sacramento where I was living, my friend Dan And he actually took all the pre-medical requirements at University of Michigan, and he just wasn't sure if he wanted to go. But we met just at a bar, and we just kind of talked, and he knew I was interested in studying kind of the medicine and improving medicine around bipolar disorder and other mental illness. And he just kept saying, like, why don't you go try to be a doctor? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not smart enough. You know, I didn't (laughs) even, I wasn't a science major in college. He's like, dude, you can go back to community college uh, go in one of these post-baccalaureate programs. Like, it's been done. It's not easy. He didn't sugarcoat it, but it's been done. Yep. So he was really the first one that convinced me, like, dude, look into resources. And that's when I started reading our articles online. And that's when I actually eventually found your podcast. Mm. And I started to listen. My favorite episodes on your podcast were the non-traditional students that had a similar path to me where they went back to school and that's how they were able to apply. Because one thing he did convince me of, he's like, dude, There's a lot of the traditional applicants, you know, majored in biology. They've wanted to be a doctor since they were like five. He's like, you're going to stick out. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, you you at least are going to have a very good story to tell. You might not be the smartest kid in your class, but you'll be able to have like stick out in an application. So why not go for it? Yeah. And that's that's awesome that kind of your first 
kind of foray into thinking about this and, and being encouraged to do it was somebody who was going down this path himself, but just super encouraging. He didn't doesn't sound like he planted any seed of doubt in you at all. No, no. Yeah. And I don't come from a family of doctors or really any sort of medical professionals. So when I told my parents that I wanted to abandon my career in insurance <laughs> and go to medical school, they thought I was, you know, out of my mind. <laughs> like, were, well, I am, but this different. Yeah. They're like, have you taken your meds today, Logan? And I'm like, I am. Like, I swear, like, this is a good idea. And, um, you know, dad was really that friend where he's like, dude, this isn't crazy. You can do this. And it was really funny through him convincing me to go back to uh, community college and take these classes. I think he kind of realized that medicine really was what he wanted because he was working as a healthcare consultant for many years. And then right around that time where he was advising me to go back, he decided to apply to medical school and he's actually a year ahead of me now. Nice. That's awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dan, for the encouragement. Yeah. Well, thank you, too, because, you know, you gave me a lot of advice through the podcast of just that this is possible. But part of that advice sometimes comes up, right? Jeff of episode 194, whatever episode that was, Jeff being uh, disabled, having retinitis pigmentosa, uh, I think was what he has, and Mm -hmm. being legally blind, he applied to medical school the first time around, wrote his his essays, and everything was around being blind and how that affected him and, and led him down this journey, and he didn't get in anywhere. And so his logical conclusion was they must... Uh, be scared of my having a disability. So when I apply again, I'm gonna I'm not going to talk about it. Right? I'm just gonna write about something else. And and he luckily could see enough during interviews during the day that he didn't need um, a, a walking stick or anything. And so he went through the process, was accepted. And when the the letters came to say, "Hey, do you need any accommodations?" He's like, "Yep, yes, I do." Yeah. And and that conversation. I think I, I've talked about it several times since. I, I, that might have been one of the first ones where I've talked about bringing up red flags in an application. And I have always recommended, and I still do, and, and maybe you'll change my mind, but probably not. I still recommend trying to not disclose things that are going to be an easy out for the admissions committees. And so when you look at a disability, when you look at mental illness, when you look at some of these things, right, DUIs and, and, and prior alcoholism, drug abuse, all, arrests, whatever, they're like, we have 10,000 other applications here that don't have this. Why should we even bother wasting a second with your application? But you <laughs> decided, you know what, this is my story. I'm going to, to tell it. I'm going to talk about it. Talk about that decision, listening to the podcast um, with Jeff and, and everything that you went through, and then ultimately coming to the decision to to talk about your diagnosis in your applications. Yeah, I mean, so we were kind of joking around before we hopped on air here. I was one of those people that uh, your podcast every Wednesday came on. I was listening to it. I was looking forward to it. And when that podcast came on and I listened, I was just heartbroken. Just I just thought... You know, because I didn't have any pre-med advisor. So really, you and Dan were the closest things I've ever had. And Dan actually even had a similar stance to you. He said, dude, it's just going to make a red flag on your application. It's just going to 
it's not a good idea. You know, he had the exact same stance as you. And I was so discouraged. I just, you know, I, quite frankly, I stopped listening to your podcast for a little while. I was wondering where my downloads, I, why my downloads went down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I knew, I also bought the, the interview uh, playbook. And, you know, I'd listened to a lot of your podcasts about developing a personal statement. And what I took away from it is you need to tell a story. Like, why do you want to go to medical school? That's really the key that every medical school wants to know is why. Why? What do I don't want to know your qualifications. I want to know why you're doing this. And I really just sat there and I asked myself, is there any way I can tell my story of why I want to go to medical school without disclosing my disability of my mental illness? And for me me the answer was no there i would just i would be lying and i would be you know i really listened to actually episode 194 today and i remember jeff said i always wanted to be a doctor like it wasn't because of my disability and i think that's why his application was still strong the second year around and for me really the only reason i wanted to go to medical school was because of my own personal experience so i thought there's absolutely no way i can do this without saying it so i knew it was a big gamble and I just knew, though, I wanted to be a physician no matter what. And I didn't care if if no U.S. medical school accepted me. I'll go to Canada, Mexico, China. I don't care. I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> but not the Caribbean? <laughs> oh, and the Caribbean. Okay, yeah, okay. Sweet. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I think that has always been my message. When, when students hear it, and you had, the sa- I think, the same reaction the first time you heard it was, oh, Ryan says I shouldn't talk about it. And- that's never been my stance. That's that's part of my story, right? That's just a part of it. But the rest of it is the angle that you eventually came to was, look, this is my story and I have to tell it. And if you get to that conclusion, great. Let's tell it. Let's figure out the best way to paint it in the best light possible to to hopefully show them your progression through this and and what you've done to work on it and, and how you're stronger now because of it and motivated to do this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Of, of mm-hmm. getting to this point, even though I have this diagnosis, this is why I have an application in front of you right now. And I think I'm gonna be an asset because of it and not a risk. And being exactly. able to tell that story is is hard, right? Because you're you're fearful while you're writing it. Be like, I don't know, should I, should I say this? Are they gonna be mad at that? Should I do this? I don't know. Um, how did you eventually tell your story? Well, in it, I don't actually like to think of it as hard to tell my story because I think it would have been much harder to try to not disclose mm-hmm. and sort of put on that fake face of, you know, I'm the perfect applicant kind of thing. And so I remember just on those interview days when I showed up, I just would sit there with the other 12 applicants, whatever it may be. And I would just think to myself, well, I guarantee they're not going to say anything that I'm going to say. <laughs> and and I know I'll be at least memorable, maybe for better or worse, but I'm certainly going to be memorable, whatever I say. And, you know, I just tried to always put it in the perspective of patients. Like, how am I going to be able to help patients feel better because of my experiences? Yeah. And really, my dream of being a psychiatrist one day is I want to sit down with a patient and just say, I've been in your shoes. I know you're scared right now, but I've been in those shoes and you can do this. Let's look towards the future. Like, great. That's all well and good. You'll be able to, to have great empathy for your patients because you've been there, done that, right? 
But when you see stories come out, like I saw two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was just an article written by a physician about kind of physicians need to avoid the discussion and treatment of depression because that's something that comes up on their state licensing, right? And if you need to get licensed by the state and you're being treated for depression or have mental illness, then that's a red flag for your license and there could be potential issues with the license. How do you, how do you deal with that potential future, uh, future Logan with, well, crap, is this going to affect my licensing in the future? You know, it's certainly something I think about, but I also like to think about kind of the other side of the coin that I know there's a huge, one, physician shortage, but especially psychiatrist shortage. Mm. So I know, you know, maybe because of the way I live my life and being so open about my experiences, maybe I will be shutting some doors to certain opportunities. And that is, you know, it's frustrating, but I also think that people like me and other people that are open about their experiences are going to be the ones leading the future that are going to be ending this physician burnout and medical student burnout epidemic that we're facing right now. Because I think that me being just so open, one thing I also talked about in my interviews, me being so open about my experiences, I know are going to make other students around me feel more comfortable just to maybe seek their own mental health care. Because it's just so sad how many physicians and students that we lose every single year. Let's talk about it from the admissions committee side of things. Have you been involved in your school's admissions committee at all? It's funny you bring that up. Uh, <laughs> me and a, and a lot of other students would love to be involved with our uh, medical student admissions process. Yeah. And I was actually in different medical schools that I interviewed at. There were medical students on the panel of people that interviewed you. Mm -hmm. At our school, that's just not something that they they're currently do doing. Okay. Yeah, so we, we've pushed it, and we've certainly voiced that as something that we want to do, but it's just not in the deck of cards right now. Okay, so let's let's have some empathy for the admissions committee and try to understand where they are coming from, trying to put together a community of students. And then they get this application from this student named Logan, and he said, bipolar is why I want to be a doctor, I want to be a psychiatrist. And... The, the little hairs on the back of their neck stand up. And they go, well, that's, that's a very interesting story, but, right? Mm -hmm. what, what are some of those buts that they can be thinking about, whether or not they should interview you and ultimately accept you? Well, I mean, one of the things I certainly got asked at almost every single school is, how are you going to be able to handle this? Like, you know, you're a smart guy. You know that this is going to be probably the most stressful, challenging thing you've ever gone through. So I really had to convince them that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that my bipolar disorder is perfectly managed. You know, there are going to be days where I feel depressed and days where I feel manic. But by me being open, I'm allowing all my other students around me, my professors, the admissions committee, the other staff at our school to help me identify what's really going on. And I talked about how, you know, my wife is really a big supporter in my life, all my family, how I still need to have a relationship, consistent relationship with a therapist and a psychiatrist, and that I'm going to be able to do this. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, it's I'm perfectly recovered because it's that's just not how mental illness works. But I really, really had to be strong and challenging uh, when they would ask those difficult questions. Yeah. You got interviews, 
right? You got how many interviews did you get? Uh, five. How many schools did you apply to? Uh, too many. Uh, <laughs> I think twenty-eight. Okay. I think it was probably about twelve osteopathic and maybe sixteen allopathic schools. Okay. I only got interviews though from osteopathic schools. Okay. Why do you think that is? Uh, I wish I knew that before <laughs> I sent all the money to the allopathic <laughs> schools. I maybe they just thought because I really try to present a holistic recovery to my own recovery of mental illness. You know, it's not just because of the pill that I got better. You know, it's that I see a therapist that I'm actively uh, participating in meditation and exercise every day. And that really this holistic philosophy that I want to bring to psychiatry, because I think so many patients show up at a psychiatrist's office and they think that they can get a medication that's going to make them feel better tomorrow. And that I really live that philosophy that it's like, no, it's not going to work like that. It's only really a sliver of this whole pie. And... So yeah, I, I definitely wish I knew that though prior to sending all of that money. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I I don't know if I would agree that it's the holistic stuff because I mean, and I've had this discussion a bunch with even the the president elect of the osteopathic association of like every physician MDDO treats patients holistically. Good good physicians will treat patients yeah. holistically. Um, I, I think. Potentially, and this is just uh, assumptions, right? We we don't know. We I wasn't in the room with the admissions committee, um, but historically, osteopathic schools are more lenient towards non-traditional students and students who have had issues. They like those stories, and mm-hmm. they they think they make better physicians. and And I would agree. And for some reason, the MD world uh, still doesn't value that experience as much. I think, just based yeah. on anecdotal stories like yours, right? Um, so it's it's very interesting. But I, I I just came from a conference with pre-med advisors and admissions committee members, and I had um, had a, a conversation with one of the director of admissions for a medical school, and we talked about mental illness. And she said, "Look, when 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 something comes across our desk, it's." prior drug use, alcohol use, mental illness, we have to think about what if, right? She's like, mm-hmm. it's it's irresponsible not to because as as the interviewers in your situation were saying, look, this is probably going to be the most stressful time in your life. And number one, are you going to be safe? Number two, mm-hmm. are the other students going to be safe, right? You, you, you don't want to, but the the thought of Sandy Hook, the thought of all these other things and uh, all that stuff comes up. And so they, they think about safety for everybody, especially the student. Uh, and then they also think about, well, if we give this seat to Logan, if we give the seat to somebody else, is the student going to be able to finish school? Right? And mm-hmm. and. That if they don't finish school or if you need to take five years, six years, whatever, because you have a manic episode that lands you in the hospital for a month and you have to delay your, your school for a year or semester, whatever, mm-hmm. that's a black mark on the school, right? The the student couldn't finish in four years. Yeah. And schools as big institutions are very risk averse to that kind of stuff. And so it's very easy to just pass on that sort of application, an application mm-hmm. like yours. Which it sounds like a lot, most, or all of the MD schools that you applied to did, but then you get to the the five schools that interviewed you, and they're a little bit more open, 
and saying, you know what, this is a great story. Maybe we have better support for students like this. Um, and let's let's take the risk. Let's interview Logan and see, or interview whoever and see. So I I think at the end of the day, as we were talking about earlier, right? If this is your story, which for you a hundred percent it is, mm-hmm. you have to tell it. Right. You you, yeah. you have to be open. You have to tell it. I never will tell a student, don't talk about your mental illness. Don't talk about your alcoholism. Don't talk about whatever. I will only say, if you talk about it, here are the risks. Mm-hmm. Right. And is there a stigma with mental illness? Of course. Should there be? No. We just need to be aware. Right. There are risks. Yeah. Um, of everything. So you're in school. Right. Any any follow up to what I just ranted about for a second? Well, I mean, I'm not really sure. I I think the student you're allowed to disagree with me, by the way. No, I I think I definitely agree with you. And it's just I think almost by identifying the risks in your own application, you become a stronger candidate because you're ready. If you can identify your own weaknesses, you can practice those type of questions that you're going to get in the interview and that you know that they're going to ask. And so I just think really taking an honest look at yourself and just being able to almost think of yourself as on that admissions committee and say like, well, why shouldn't we accept this student? You and yourself are going to become a better interviewer. Yeah. Did you do that before interviewing, like writing your personal statement, writing your secondary essays? Did you take that approach when you were framing how you talked about everything? Well, basically what I, I had a hard time doing it myself. I think there's a lot of self bias if you try to do it yourself. And I, I was able to improve my applications, but what I did is I sent it to as many people as I could. And I said, please rip this apart. Mm. And you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings. And actually I even hopped on a webinar with you about interviewing. And I remember how it worked is you had to click to raise your hand if you want an opportunity and you asked a question and I, you know, clicked every time and I finally got called on at the end and it was kind of a softball to be honest. Why do you want to be a doctor? And I gave an answer that I wasn't really prepared to give. It just was, well, I have bipolar disorder and I use the medical system. So that's why I want to be a doctor. And you kind of tore me a new one. You were like, (laughs) you're like, dude, that's, that is not a good answer, man. (laughs) And so I think almost getting your butt kicked like that, And even the first interview I ever went on, I kind of got my butt kicked, Mm. but it really humbled me and it made me really develop how I want to tell my story in the best light. And so I think it's, you almost have to go into it with that attitude when you're applying, like, this is going to suck. This is going to be really hard and schools are going to look to almost knock me down in this interview process. And how can I fight through? Yeah. I I think for, for anyone who is struggling with mental illness is... Uh, or has a disability, if you're writing about it, right? If it, if you're telling your story and you're going to write about it and you get an interview, I think you can relax because mm-hmm. they're, they're seeing you as a person and not as someone with bipolar disorder, someone with a disability. They're, they're looking at you as, as a, a, a regular old student who is qualified enough to be a physician and now they just want to get to know you. Are they going to ask about your bipolar disorder? You better believe it, right? You, be- mm-hmm. you better understand that they're going to find out. They want to find out if you're ready for this, if you can handle it, what you've learned from it, et cetera. So um, I, I think if, if you 
as you did, you got those interviews. You're like, okay, whew, I can I can relax a little bit, right? Talk yeah. about that first interview you went on. You said you got 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 uh, got torn apart a little bit. What happened in that interview? Well, he told me, or the question I remember I really tripped up on is one that I guess I didn't think I was going to get because it's just so generic. It was, what are your weaknesses? Mm -hmm. And I said something that was maybe just too brutally honest. I was like, yeah, I'm not really that good at biology. Uh, the, whole <laughs> the whole memorization process of biology is really challenging for me. And the guy just looked at me. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, why would you say that? And uh, like another physician started laughing in the room. It was just bad. <laughs> and so I redeveloped that that response for the subsequent interviews afterward. But, you know, it was just it was a humbling experience. It, it really was. That's very funny. It's like my biggest weakness is being able to memorize everything like I'm going to have to do in in three months when I start medical school. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pro probably a better way to frame that answer. Uh, yes. and, and you figured it out. At the end of the day, you got in at Pacific Northwest. Did you get any other acceptances? No. I was. Uh, I got in off the wait list at Pacific Northwest. I was also waitlisted at another school. Um, but as soon as I got off that wait list, I was you know, ready to go, accepted yeah. right away, and I was just over the moon. It was great. What, what do you think held you up from getting accepted right away and, instead of getting put on the wait list at two schools? Hmm. Well, I at least know for the school I'm at now, they're very regional focused hmm. and they want students from the Pacific North Northwest because there's a huge shortage up here. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm from Connecticut, so I yeah. certainly didn't feel that aspect. So I just remember I kept <laughs> peppering the interview committee and I was like, you guys know how much I like skiing and hiking, right? Like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to love it up there. And the other school, you know, they, they just kept toying with me. They kept saying, you know, you're in the top 20, you're in the top 10, you're in the top five, but Ugh. I just never got that call. And so I didn't really have any decision process, but I, I'm really happy with where I ended up. Yeah. What is it like the process starting medical school, being open with your bipolar disorder to the admissions committee is different than being open with it to all of your brand new classmates what was that process like for you? And how would you potentially recommend another student say, hello, like, I'm Logan and I have bipolar disorder. Like, do you wear a t-shirt? What do you do? Well, for <laughs> me, I, I kind of mentioned my YouTube at the beginning of uh, my YouTube channel. If you guys want to look it up, Logan Noon, spelled with an E at the end. Um, and I had always dreamt that one day I was going to be able to make a YouTube video like, guys, I made it. I'm in medical school. And I did it telling everyone I was bipolar disorder. So I made that YouTube video and I just posted it on the Facebook school page. And I was terrified. I wasn't sure if anyone was going to like me after that because, you know, when you show up to medical school like the first week in the first you know, month even, everyone's looking, you know, just perfect, just like perfect haircut, you know, all their best clothes on. Seven months later, you know, everyone looks like they're barely sleeping, not even awake, <laughs> never shaving, you know, it's completely different. But so I was terrified because I thought all of my classmates around me were just like these perfect candidates. And when you first get to know people, they're like, oh, yeah, I did research on cancer before this. I was in Africa, you know, catching babies, all this <laughs> wild stuff. And you just don't think that you really add up to any of them. Like everyone, I think, at least me, was dealing with imposter syndrome. Like, I don't deserve to be here. Yep. But I still put up that video. I was like, whatever, screw it. And I found there were so many other people around me also dealing with mental illness. And, you know, they didn't decide to disclose it to the admissions committee. 
But they just got to know me better. They started talking to me a lot more. And that's really what motivated me to start my podcast. And my own podcast so far, the first nine episodes have all been my medical school classmates talking about various mental health challenges that they've gone through. Mm. I've interviewed someone with OCD, depression, uh, PTSD, ADHD, uh, two women that have dealt with sexual assault. And so it has been an incredible process. And one of the best things I think I've really done is just making other people feel okay that it's okay to not be perfect and yeah. not be this, you know, little square on an application. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And and those kind of stories are, are amazing stories. And we actually have a, a project uh, in the works, a, a still undisclosed project in the works to to get some of those uh, stories out in the world as well. So I'm excited for that. You're in medical school, right? So the, the, the ultimate question is, okay, you got in, but the biggest fear of the admissions committee is, okay, now what, right? Are, are you going to self-destruct when you get, yeah. get to medical school? The most stressful time of your life, right? I always talk about it. I'm like, it's the most amazing time in your life, and it's also the most stressful time. So it's, it's kind yeah. of like a, a world of contradictions medical school is for you and obviously you can only speak to your experience and and your uh bipolar disorder and the experience that you're having at school how has medical school affected your stability with bipolar disorder well at first it was extremely challenging it really really was because as a non-traditional student at least at our school the first class we kind of took was foundations of medical science and it was essentially biochemistry uh something that i didn't do great in prior to medical school <laughs> you hated biology <laughs> yeah so it was it was very challenging i also still don't understand why anatomy isn't a pre-medical requirement because i really struggled with that course too so all these techniques that i use to benefit my mental health whether that would be meditating exercising spending time with my wife just traveling whatever it may be I would sacrifice all of those things because I would say, well, I need to study. You know, I need to pass this course. So I was sacrificing really everything that was proper to my mental health. I was sacrificing sleep. I was consuming way too much caffeine. So I could see myself going down this bad road. And really, during my spring semester, I actually injured my back and I couldn't exercise at all. Mm. And that's really everything, when everything kind of came to fruition, where I started to feel really depressed. And that's when I was like, man... I need to go back to a therapist. I really need to commit to exercising every day, scheduling that date time with my wife every week where, you know, it is, it does hurt. It's like, well, I'm not going to study as much, but my mental health is going to be better because of this. Because, you know, you hear it said a million times, but medical school isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah. And so I really just kind of had to have that mentality of, you know, this is a long haul. A year from now, I'm going to be taking step one and I have to start preparing for that now. And so it, it definitely was challenging. And I totally understand why, as at least medical students, why we get burned out. But I think also because I had prior experience using the mental health system, I wasn't ashamed this time. I also knew what I needed to do to get myself back in that healthy state of mind. What would you recommend for somebody who hasn't been part of the, the mental health system getting that support? A lot of people are ashamed to get support. I think you, you had talked about whether it's shame or you just didn't want to talk about it uh, at, at the very beginning. For somebody, whether they're a pre-med now or they're listening to this and they're starting medical school next year and they start to go down that path of, of not sleeping and too much caffeine and, and not exercising and eating poorly and they, they start down this slippery slope, 
how do you recommend a student reach out for the first time for help? I would say really look at who in your life can you call up no matter what at any moment of your life that you feel closest to. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, whoever it may be. Because so often I think people, when they start to feel depressed, they have to go to a therapist or they have to go to a psychiatrist. And that's a difficult process, making all those phone calls and figuring out insurance coverage and whatever it may be. So I would say just start small because I don't think people with men. I don't think people with mental illness are the only people dealing with mental health challenges. I think every single person has some sort of mental health challenge throughout their entire life. And so I think if you disclose and open up to really anyone that you feel comfortable with, I guarantee that they're going to be able to reconcile with you and connect with you and be able to talk about it. And, you know, hopefully you do feel motivated to go seek out therapy or maybe a physician if it's necessary, but start small. Just don't be intimidated by opening up to a best friend. Awesome. You have a podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. Uh, Noon is spelt like no one smushed together. So I'm going to make that joke millions of times throughout my physician career. Dr. No one at your service. So yeah, you can find it it really on all the major platforms. Logan Noon. Awesome. So Logan, as we wrap up here, uh, I think we just had some great advice for somebody dealing with um, uh, possibly going down a, a road of mental illness and reaching out for support the first time. For the non-traditional student or even the traditional student where mental illness isn't an issue right now, or maybe it is, whatever, um, you've you've gotten in to medical school as a non-traditional student. You're in medical school now. Besides taking anatomy as a prereq or as, as, a, as a class in undergrad, what other uh, parting words of wisdom do you have for the, uh, the student out there? I would just say dream big and don't get discouraged. You know, I think I got really lucky that I got in on the first uh, try of my application cycle because many of my classmates didn't. And so even if you didn't get in this first year, I know it's July now, so maybe a lot of people were in that same place I was a couple years ago where they're hoping to get off the wait list and maybe they're about to reapply. And just know that you're not a failure if you do have to reapply. Like, you can still do this. I know so many people that eventually got in and, you know, I believe in you. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Logan Noon. Go check him out. He's on Instagram. You can find him at Logan Noon. That's N-O-O-N-E, Dr. No One, as he said during the interview. If you are somebody who has been struggling with mental illness and, and it's been weighing on you whether or not to disclose it in your application, hopefully today's interview has helped give you a little bit more clarification on when... I tell you not to disclose a lot of big red flags, right? For somebody like Logan, it's his story, and you can't avoid that. If it is your story, you can't avoid it. Just today as I'm recording this, actually just 10 minutes ago, I got a message on Instagram from somebody. They were asking about what is too personal. And if the story of having chronic illness as the reason why the student wants to be a physician, is that too personal? Right, it's the same question, whether it's chronic illness or mental illness, whatever it is. If it's your story, it's your story, and you can't avoid it. But you have to be aware of the potential consequences. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.
Logan, oh wait, oh, I always forget I do video now because I got to hit record on video too. Uh-huh. Uh, I did that a while ago, my first one. I'm like, oh crap, I hit, forgot to hit record on video. All right, oh, now, no. now we're recording. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'll put on my pretty face. <laughs>